Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Pulling my mic out. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. What a privilege it is to be able to open it together, to be able to read from it, to hear it preached. God, we pray that you would be at work in our midst this morning, that you would be saving sinners, that you would be edifying and encouraging your church, that you would help us to to take and, and apply what you have said in your word to our lives. We're grateful that that you've revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed salvation to us, that your Son has come into the world, and so we pray that you would um, work in our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we do a lot of things in life where we repeat, where we do something over and over again. We have all kinds of routines, morning routines, evening routines, There are things that we do all the time. But repetition can get old. When we do those same things over and over again, it can be really hard to to still put in maximum effort, to put all that we have into it. Everything that that we do, whether it's a job or a chore, it can just be tough when we repeat it over and over to have the same enthusiasm and the same excitement. Come to second service and you'll see. I'm kidding. I love all of those who come to second service. Even things that we really love, it can be hard to still love them as much when we repeat it over and over again. Every year our family watches the same movie Christmas Eve. And I love this movie. It's, it's a version of the Christmas Carol. It's called Scrooge, a musical. And, and I've, I've seen this movie 
probably like 20 to 25 times in my life. Uh, we just watched it on the 23rd. Case, the kids and I, the kids, they watched it. They enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it more so watching it with them, but if it was just me watching it, man, I love that movie, but I'm just not all about it anymore. I know it too well. It just doesn't excite me like it once did. I, I really watch it now more out of a, a sense of tradition than out of this deep desire, like, I have to watch this movie. I'm tired of it. I've just seen it too many times. Well, this morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 2. And for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but for a lot of us, we have heard this story so many times. We've heard it preached. We've heard it read. we're, We're familiar with this story. So why do we come back to it year after year? We may not always preach a sermon at Christmas on Luke 2, but again, we probably read it. We probably think on it. We probably sing songs that reflect truth from Luke 2. Why do we keep coming back to it every single year? Why is it so important? Well, I hope we see this morning. It is important because it means glory for God and good news for us. It's glory for God and good news for us. Because of those two things, this story absolutely matters. So let's be on guard as we walk through this text. Let's be on guard from becoming apathetic, from becoming bored or distracted. Let's fight to keep it fresh. Let's fight to be refreshed, even as we consider truth that we may have heard over and over and over again. Maybe even as I read it, you were like, mind's wandering away. We're going to kind of read through it again as we go, purposefully. Because we should always, we should always rejoice at the thought that God is glorified and there's good news for us. All right, so how is God glorified in this passage? We're going to see here lots of ways that God is glorified. And some of them are more overt, some of them are are more obvious, and some are more unexpected. Some are more subtle. There are ways that God is glorified that that hopefully we may even think like, oh, I haven't thought about the fact that God receives glory in this fashion. So look again with me at the first three verses. Verse 1, Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, like me, you may, on on first reading of that, wonder, how how is God glorified in these first three verses? It, it, It doesn't seem like there's anything really remarkable here. Well, in a way, there's not, and that's why it's so important to see. The greatness of God is often put on display in unexpected ways in the Christmas story. And we're going to see some of those unexpected ways that now, maybe now, aren't unexpected for you anymore, like Jesus being born in a manger. I understand most of us realize that's kind of weird, but now it's not that weird because we've heard it a lot. But this should maybe be unexpected for us. You see, one day God is going to come, and he's going to come with great power and great might. He's going to come in all of his visible glory, and he's going to blow our minds with how awesome he is. But in the Christmas story, more often than not, God is glorified not in the spectacular, but in the mundane. Not in that which is astounding, but in that which is lowly and meek and humble. Like even in these first three verses. The king of God's kingdom is not the first person on the scene. It's actually an earthly king. It's Caesar Augustus. It's actually earthly rulers, like Quirinius. They're the ones 
who set this story in motion. Humanly speaking, we would expect that if the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, is going to arrive on the scene, he's probably going to get all the attention. He's going to get all the focus, all the pomp and circumstance. It's going to be reserved for him. They're going to lay out the red carpet for King Jesus. But instead, we have another ruler who starts off the story. And for any other earthly authority or a ruler to be even mentioned would seem to, to me to distract from the coming of God's king. But God works in ways that are often the opposite of how we naturally work. God's ways are counterintuitive to our ways. And so we see right away, God has orchestrated the arrival of heaven's king through the actions of an earthly king. And strangely enough, God orchestrated the death of heaven's king through the actions of an earthly king, an earthly ruler as well, Pilate, who ruled over Jerusalem. God would use him to bring about the crucifixion of Christ. All of these earthly rulers, totally unaware of the reality that God was using them. God was using them to fulfill his purposes and to receive glory. So right away we see in the Christmas story, God is glorified in totally unexpected ways. But not only are the the circumstances, the setting surrounding Jesus' birth, not only is that unexpected, but so are his parents. Read with me again verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So right there we see, we see a hint of God's glory in a more expected way. He's of the line of David. So like that's where, yeah, God's glory is going to be found, is in David's line. But everything else about Mary and, David, and, Mary and Joseph is, is ordinary. They are common people. Though they may have been of the house and the lineage of David, if you were walking along on that dirt road going to wherever you needed to go for this census, if you were walking along next to Mary and Joseph, you wouldn't have looked at them and said, whoa, royalty in my midst. You would have looked at them and said, that's somebody kind of like me. Just an ordinary, common person. They aren't high class. They aren't wealthy. They don't have this this high standing in society. They're not riding along in, in like a carriage. They're walking and potentially using like a donkey to get to where they need to go. Mary, in her song of praise, back in chapter one, she says this of herself that God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary herself says, I'm a nobody in the world's eyes. They're just two of thousands of people obeying the orders of this earthly king, Caesar Augustus. Not the kind of people you'd expect the king of God's kingdom to call his mother and his earthly father. And yet, it is through these very people that God will receive glory. Now look with me. At verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So a humble birth. That's what we see here. Jesus is born in a feeding trough, in a stable, either next to the inn that had no room, or in a nearby cave. He didn't receive any special treatment. 
It wasn't like the innkeeper kicked a bunch of folks out to welcome Mary and Joseph into the inn. It wasn't like the innkeeper said, oh, you are royalty. We're going to get a place for you for sure. No, Mary and Joseph, they were treated like any other common person would have been treated. Sorry, I don't have a place for you. That's, I, I can't do anything for you. Nothing special was done for the king of God's kingdom. And his first visitors aren't all that important either. Look back with me at, 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 the, at the account of the shepherds. Luke 2, we're going to skip down to verse 15. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So shepherds are the first to receive news of Jesus' birth. Not these royal delegates from, from foreign countries. The wise men don't show up till a little bit later in the story. Whoever set up this nativity perfectly gives us a, a, a pictorial description of how the wise men arrived. They ain't there yet. They're still on the way. First, it's just shepherds. Common, ordinary guys. They're considered lowly and, and they're considered humble. And it's because of that that their report of Jesus' birth, it's not met with a great amount of excitement. It's not met with people lining up to go and to visit Jesus. People don't hear the news and go, oh my goodness, we've got to get over here. We've got to see the king of God's kingdom. We have to see the savior, the deliverer who's arrived. No, they didn't come flocking to see Jesus. They thought, yeah, that's an interesting story. They may not have even thought that it was entirely true. Maybe they thought these shepherds are exaggerating, or they're, kind of, they're forgetting the details of it. They're making it sound better than it was. They don't buy into it. Now, if a messenger from the king had come with an official decree of the Messiah's birth, that would have been a totally different story. But it was just the local shepherds. Probably nothing to really see. The story probably circulated for a little while, caused a bit of a stir, but then the people forgot, and they went back to their everyday lives. Because would shepherds really be the heralds of such important news? They, they wouldn't be the, the first ones to learn of the, the coming Messiah, would they? Over and over again, in the Christmas story, we see that God is glorified in totally unexpected ways. Ways that are, are backwards to the natural mind. Born in Bethlehem because another king gave a decree? Born to common parents with no influential status in society? Born in a stable and visited by shepherds? But this is exactly how God would have it, that he would receive glory. This is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The one who serves will be lifted up, and the proud will be brought low. Those of humble estate he has exalted, and the mighty he has brought down. And this upside-down nature of God's kingdom isn't just on display in Jesus' birth. It's also on display in his death. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, not even things that are, or even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, all of that, what is foolish to man, is in reality the wisdom of God. What we would least expect is exactly how God chooses to work. Think about the bookends of our Savior's life here on earth. Born in a manger and then died on a tree reserved for criminals. Not the way that I would write the story, but God perfectly wrote it in that way. And because of that, that means that God works through entirely ordinary people, like you and me. Let's be honest, we're not the movers and the shakers of society. We're pretty ordinary people. And that's exactly who God uses to move his kingdom forward. Most of us aren't of noble birth, as far as I know. Most of us aren't powerful, aren't, aren't, they're not the people that, that, are, that are the high, high society people. And yet God is glorified through people like you and me, faithfully obeying him, faithfully living for him. You don't have to be a skilled orator to share the gospel. You don't have to be a trained theologian to live a life that honors Christ. Look at the, the Christmas story. Most of us can relate far more to the wise men, to the shepherds, than to the wise men. And this is who God uses. Not so that we can then boast in our newfound status. Hey, look at me, God uses people like me to advance his kingdom, so I'm I'm pretty special. No. 1 Corinthians 1 says, so that we might not boast. Should keep us humble. We should be continually surprised that God would choose us. Continually in awe at the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. So the Christmas story is important because it means glory for God. And he's glorified through people like you and me. The Christmas story is also important because it means good news for us. Good news because salvation has come. Salvation that we all desperately needed. Look back with me at verses 4 to 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. A Savior has been born because we needed to be saved. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. He is the one come to rescue God's people, not only from just their physical enemies, like Zechariah talked about in Luke 1, but also from the enemies of sin and death that have held us captive. This promised deliverer has arrived. And for God's people living at that time, this was the news that they had been waiting to hear. Waiting to hear for a very long time. Last week, Zechariah and Mary... They were both filled with hope and joy at the news of the coming Messiah. And next week, we're going to see two more people, Simeon and Anna, who were also eagerly waiting for the Savior. Two devout Jews who had been waiting all their lives for God's promised deliverer to come. The one who is to be from the line of David. The one who is to be born in Bethlehem. This deliverer, this Savior is here. This is good news for all the people. Your deliverer is here. Now, honestly, this is where the excitement can sometimes be lost on us a bit. We can be so familiar with the story that we fail to remember what good news the birth of Jesus really is. The people of Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting. For over 400 years, God had been silent. Silent. 400 years had passed between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus. 400 years, the people, they wait. And for 400 years, God was silent. And then the angels burst onto the scene, heralding the birth of heaven's king. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is good news. Your wait is over. The Savior is here. Rejoice. And be glad, for salvation has come. And this news, spoken to the shepherds, is just as good today as it was then. Our Savior came. He entered this sin-cursed world. He was born a humble baby to die one day a humiliating death for us, for our sins. He died because we needed to be saved. This is good news of great joy. The remedy to our sin problem has been revealed. Now when the angels first appeared to the shepherds, the text says that they were filled with great fear, which is totally understandable. If a host of angels suddenly filled this room, like hanging on to the chandeliers, I would be terrified. Because I would quickly feel just how unworthy I am. I would be intimidated. I'd be terrified. These beings, they are holy. They have literally just come from the presence of God. I feel very unholy in their presence. So I can relate to these shepherds, quaking in their boots. They are filled with great fear. But then, their fear is quickly turned to joy. And this is absolutely the proper response to the mercy of God. These angels, they come as representatives of God. They come on God's behalf. And when confronted with the holiness and the majesty of God, we should fear. But God is also full of mercy and grace. 
And that mercy and grace, it, it welcomes us to draw near. To draw near and to find our highest joy in him. God is awesome and mighty, and he is full of love for his people. And so while the shepherds, they were initially filled with fear, that fear quickly changed to joy. Joy because God is for them. Joy because the angels didn't arrive to execute judgment. They arrived to announce good news. Good news for them. Good news personally for those shepherds. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But then get this. For unto you, speaking to those shepherds, unto you is born this day. For to you, shepherds, is born this day. For your sake, for your benefit, Christ has come. And for those who trust in in, in the Savior, we don't need to cower before God, unsure of how he'll treat us. We don't need to be scared that he'll hurt us. We don't need to feel threatened by him. We can be sure that he is for us, that his love has been shown through his Son. And so while a right understanding of God and his discipline for his children should motivate us to live holy lives. We don't want to become flippant towards God. At the same time, his mercy and grace towards his children should always lead us to run to him. Fear not, the angel said. I bring you good news of great joy. And that joy should motivate us. The joy of, of the gospel should motivate us to share that good news with others. Just like the shepherds, we have good news to share. Luke 2.17 says that that the shepherds made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They made it known. We have this message to make known as well. The Savior has been born. And this Savior who was born was crushed for our sins, put to death in our place. This baby boy who was truly innocent would suffer and die for the sins of his people. That is a message that we must share. The light of the world has come, and he has shown that light into our hearts. And we who were once in darkness, now we've been given light. And so we have to share it with those who are still in darkness. And you know what? We may share the gospel with others. And they might not be all that persuaded. They might not respond with with joy and excitement and repentance and and belief they may respond much like the people responded when the shepherds shared. They may wonder. There may be some mild interest, but no real lasting transformation. Or even worse, they may get upset with us. They may push us away. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we're messengers. And and so we bring a message. And that message produces two different kinds of responses. Same message, Two vastly different responses. To some, the message of the gospel is a pleasing aroma, Paul says. It's it's a life-giving fragrance. But to others, that same message is repugnant. It's a terrible odor. It smells like death. But either way, we still got to bring the message. Lovingly, confidently, wisely speak the truth of the gospel when the opportunity arises. And then pray that God works in the hearts of those we tell. That they might respond as the shepherds did, glorifying God and praising him. So I know it can be hard. I know it can be hard to to focus in on the Christmas story. As I said, for lots of us, it's just really familiar. 
Our family reads it each year. I had already written this sermon. I had already been thinking about this story all week long. And even so, as we read that story, I was still distracted. Still realizing after we read it. I was kind of paying attention to my kids more than I was this story. I just prepared this sermon and I was still easily just drawn off. So we have to remember the Christmas story is so important for us because it means glory for God and good news for us. So let's tell others about this gloriously good news. And not just the good news that Christ has arrived and that he died and rose again, but also that he's coming back. Jesus is going to return. And the Bible says that he's, got, he's not going to come, he's not going to return in the same way that he, he came originally. He's not going to come back in an unexpected way. He's, in a, he's not going to come back in a meek and, and lowly manner. He's not going to return in humility. He's going to return in all of his glory. Jesus is going to come back in all of his power, in all of his might, all of his majesty. It's going to be on full display. And for those of us who are found in him, that day is going to be so very good. The hopes and anticipations of people like Mary and Zechariah will be totally realized. The angelic pronouncement of, of peace on earth will be ours in all of its fullness. No more sin to wrestle with. No more pain and, and suffering. No more death and decay. We're, we're going we're to glorify God and praise him just as the shepherds did. But we're going to do it in his presence. We're going to be with him. If you're in Christ, that future awaits. Jesus came, and now we as the church say, come Lord Jesus once more. Come, come back to us. And if you're not in Christ today, come to him. See your need of a Savior and trust in him. The gospel truly is good news for those who believe in him. But for those who don't, eternal punishment in hell awaits. That is the reality for those who continue in their sin. For those who continue to reject God. Don't spurn the good news. Don't turn away from the hope of salvation. Put your trust in Christ. Find lasting peace and joy in Him. If you want to talk more about the gospel, if you want to know more of what it means to be a Christian, come find me after the service. Because there's no better message to believe. There's no better message to cling to than the gospel. For as the angels said, it is good news of great joy. Let's pray together. Father God, what what news it is. The best news that we could ever receive. That your son came into the world. That he entered in in humility. He entered in in, 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 in the most subtle of ways. And yet, Lord, it, it, was, it was the climax of all of your plans for human history. Jesus has come, and he has died on the cross for our sins, and he has risen again. Because he has risen, we have, we have true hope. Not a, not a flimsy uncertainty, but a firm confidence that one day Jesus is coming again. Lord, help us to be a people that, that honor you with our lives because we remember that truth. Help us to be a people who don't waste away our lives, but who live purposefully, who live in a way that that honors you, 
in our interactions in our families, in our interactions with our friends, our colleagues, neighbors, others at school, those who are are unsaved, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a a light in this world because the, the true light that gives light to all men has come. We thank you for your son. We rejoice in the good news of his birth. And we pray that you would, you would help us to cling to that good news, to, to, um, to live our lives in such a way that, that is worthy of the gospel. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.